When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Yeah, hello, everybody, and welcome once again to the View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly, and I'm joined on the podcast today by James Moore and Charlie Eccleshare. I suppose, once again, we should be playing slightly funereal music in the background, but I suppose, as always, we have to try and strike some kind of balance so we don't just become therapy for our millions of listeners. James, I want to start with you, because normally I start with getting the, the sensible level view from Charlie, but uh, in this time, I want to hear from a Spurs fan. You, you were there. Um, what did you make of this performance against Wolves? Um, I mean, it was it was pretty pretty bad. I mean, as bad as I can really remember in a home game for. I, I, I mean, I, you know, discounting the ones against the kind of top sides, which you know we saw a couple of this season that they lost three 0 and those are both pretty painful. So to play like that and to be beaten as comprehensively by a team, you know, obviously very very good team Wolves, but I think you'd have them down as a team Spurs should be aiming to beat, and to lose like that was, I'd say, pretty disheartening off the back of that Southampton game. And for so many of the problems that we saw on Wednesday night to be kind of recurring themes again on Sunday, incredibly frustrating. Yeah, I mean, just statistically, they uh, I'm sure some, some of you already know this, they haven't been two goals down at home in the first 20 minutes for, since rather, 1998. So <laughs> it was just the most impossibly bad start from which they never recovered. The manager, and I'll come on to what, how bad I thought it was in a second, but Charlie, the manager had made a few changes. I suppose you can't blame Conte if they're one of the players who, who has been most reliable for, well, not just this season, for the last decade, the goalkeeper decides to have a kind of nightmare. Yeah, I mean, I was saying to James earlier that Wolves, Wolves are a weird team, really. I mean, they don't score many goals, they don't concede many, so... You just you can't go behind against them. You really, really can't. And so to go two down inside eighteen minutes with your keeper making a couple of really bad errors was the nightmare scenario. From there, obviously, it's disappointing how little Spurs did. I mean, yeah, they they had a few chances, but I think Wolves had just as many, maybe more, outside of um, the two they scored. And you know, had Jimenez been more cynical, I think he could easily have won a penalty off Ben Davis for uh, for Davis's attempted tackle where he got nowhere near the ball. But yeah, you, you just can't give away those sort of goals, you know, and it's one thing if you do, there are certain teams you could do that and still get back into it. And I and I thought they had a chance, but Wolves, they're just, you know, I think they've conceded, only City have conceded fewer. But then going into this game, I think they were, they'd scored the third least of anyone. But Spurs gave them a lot of chances. And that's worrying that, you know, Davinson Sanchez sort of carried on where he left off the other night I mean Sanchez has these periods where he just needs a break just get him out of there let him clear his head a little bit 
and hopefully Dyer coming back will make a big difference. Ollie Skip as well. But you're going to have injury. You know, it's not like they're injury ravaged. They're missing a couple of players. That happens. And you, you still shouldn't be, you know, getting beaten and outplayed for the second time really in a week at home. What, what I think was really damaging, and, you know, you mentioned the usually reliable, or, or certainly in recent seasons, reliable Larice having a bit of a sinker, Danny. And Charlie Descent mentioned... Sanchez, who you probably wouldn't say was in the reliable camp, but he's kind of a bit hit and miss. And what, what Spurs had yesterday was a few usually reliable players. I'd say Lloris, Ben Davis, And I actually thought Son had a pretty bad game. From speaking to Charlie before, I, I think you disagree. But I, I thought Son didn't really get in the game. And I know he does have the odd game like that where he isn't especially effective, but I thought he had a, pr- a pretty frustrating game. So, so those guys were bad. And the kind of hit and miss hot and cold players Sanchez and Winks I would probably put in that camp Doherty yeah Doherty as well but they were pretty they were bad too so you're kind of left with like Harry Kane who I would say was half and half I thought he was very good in the first half second half I kind of think he faded you know and who can blame sure and there might be one or two others who kind of didn't completely shame themselves but it was I don't think there's anyone out there who you, who I would look at and say, well, he should be, he should be kind of, he can be satisfied with his afternoon's work. Maybe with the exception of Kane. I thought Romero, Romero was quite good. I, I kind of think he looks a little bit shaky. He gave the ball away quite a few he times. Did, he did early on. He actually was the revert. He sort of grew into the game. I thought in the first half, I, d- I thought Kane started really purposefully. I thought Son did carry a big threat when he got it on the left. Second half, not so much. But yeah, I mean, look, it's not a game where you can take many positives away from it. I mean, Kulusevski said to James earlier, I thought he improved as it went on and he started finding pockets of space, playing some quite nice and it, passes. And if Son had taken that chance, we'd be saying, oh, look at exactly. that. Yeah, that yeah a, exactly. A really incisive ball, and, yeah. And Benton Kur as well played a really nice ball through to Son. I thought Benton Kur had his moments yep. as well. Kulusevski yep. nearly scored. But, you know, it's not one where you're coming away being like, how have we lost that game? How have we not scored? They they just did, they didn't do nothing. And actually, in about the 93rd minute with... You know, of the 95 or 96, well, I think it was 95, Wolves were stroking it around, you know, pretty comfortably. Mm. And that that was pretty damning, really. Well, look, I mean, this, this is part of it, isn't it? And we, 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 this is not necessarily the podcast to discuss it on. The truth of the matter is that the Premier League, as I say, you take away the, 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 the top three teams, the rest of it is brutally competitive. Mm-hmm. Wolves were... Uh, you know, they're a very good team in transition because they have to be because, as you say, they're essentially set up defensively. Um, and if Spurs play the way they did this weekend, a, a, a good transition team will kill them because it did look at times, and I'm, I'm not trying to be too negative here, in the first half in particular, Wolves, I think, had a goal threat with virtually every move that they that they had going forward. Let me, but let me ask you, we're going to talk about Conte and his comments afterwards, but I think we have to start, when you saw having that awful performance against Southampton to look back on that he had picked an identical system I must admit I did suck in a a deep breath because if you start to go wrong James having two holding midfielders in front of five defenders were you happy with the way Spurs lined up James? Uh, No I was definitely concerned by that and having talked about that on Thursday that that midfield too in the wingbacks system I, I just kind of think it leaves you so short and you talk about how good Wolves are on a transition. And also with those three centre-backs, none of whom I would say, you know, we know Romero likes to dart out. I wouldn't say any of them were like rapid. 
Uh, and you know, kind of you leaving that, leaving those three exposed with those two in midfield. Who I think you're asking so much of those players in that system. You're asking them to fight so many fires, and you know, there's people at all around the stadium saying, "Press, harass, get stuck in," but they can't like overcommit and try and come win the ball so high up the pit because there's only two of them in, in that massive space. Like they, they can't push up and go and get the ball because if they lose it, they're going to be absolutely knackered. You know, I. I, I so I was I was concerned by that, and then obviously you start the game with that system, and it becomes, I think, quite obvious that it's not quite working. And I know he made a different tactical switch, but I think they still think the best thing would have been to have kind of gone maybe to more of a three-five-two. But once you you can't hook Lucas after twenty-five minutes and put well, you don't have anyone to put on the field to hear space. That's part of the problem in this game. But you can't really bring off an attack like a forward player and then put on a central midfield player after twenty minutes or twenty-five minutes when you're two 0 down because that's going to be such a negative move. I don't think as a manager you can really afford to make a change like that. So he's had to put on a another forward player, really, to kind of be seen to be going on the front foot. But I'm not sure. I mean, would you say they were less exposed in the last hour of the game? I'm not sure they necessarily were. It's, di- it's difficult to say as well because of the game state. And you know, yes, they, they, Wolves, they Wolves were less inclined to go banging forward, weren't they? Um, and I still thought they, they they looked perfectly capable of getting a third goal if they'd needed one. They were certainly, would say Wolves were as likely to score the next goal. There was no yeah. point in that game, really, where you would have said Spurs look way more likely to get the next goal than Wolves. Well, and, you know, after after what I presumed was a lung-bursting half-time team talk, Wolves almost scored with the first move of the, of the second half as well. I mean, if you're interested, Danny, I did ask after the game if Conte was considering switching to a four at the back and I tweeted I wonder I mean not not with any great expectation that this would happen but whether it would be a reverse of the famous Arsenal three Chelsea nil game in September 2016 which prompted the switch to a three and obviously the rest was history whether this would be the reverse and you'd go to a four but he basically I asked him you know are you considering going to four at the back he said I think that we conceded two goals we conceded two goals and very difficult to comment then after 30 minutes I decided to change tactically and go man to man I think we did well but when you concede a goal you also have to understand the reason if there is a tactical reason if there are different reasons and at the moment we're struggling a bit with the confidence and the pressure so the implication there being those the two goals they conceded were individual errors really and not about the system which it is maybe true in isolation, but I do think it's also very it's also perfectly justifiable to feel that the system doesn't seem to be working especially well. My my view is slightly to reserve judgment until Ollie Skip comes back and then see how it I mean, I think he just about has the mobility to play in a midfield two. I think Benton Core, though he's better in a three, maybe has the legs to do that as well. The other option obviously is you well assuming he's not going to go to a four, the other option is to play the 3-5-2, which worked well against Liverpool. And also, we shouldn't forget, worked well against Leicester. I mean, they, they although it was a kind of madcap act of escapology in the end, they, they really dominated that game and had a lot of chances. That was, you know, as coherent an attacking performance as we've seen. So maybe they go to that. That means dropping Lucas Moura, who I think has played very well for Conte and is one of their few attacking outlets. So they, they seem a bit handcuffed what, what, with this system. How, whatever they do, you feel like they're losing something. And then that does make you wonder, well, is it really then the best system for this team? It surely, I mean, uh, you know, you can really oversimplify these things by just talking about the, the numbers. But yeah. if you play a 4-3-3, who are you talking about play, playing, right? So you're saying Royale at right back where... I don't care what anyone says, and I, and I know there are people that took the piss out of us last week when we said he played well in a four. When he, actually, he definitely had towards the end of Nuno, maybe not the last game against Manchester United, 
But in the few games before that, I think Royal had played pretty well he's at right fine. back. He's a perfectly competent I thought right back. I thought he did fine at right back. Despite, you know, looking so uncomfortable on both the defensive and the offensive side in the last few games that he's played at least. At right back, he looked okay. So if you had him at right back, two of your centre-backs, probably not going to be Davis realistically. So where everyone's fit, if that's Dyer and Romero. Sure. Reggion at left back. So you've got that attacking outlet on the left. The three in midfield, probably we'd say picks itself. If everyone's fit, Ben Tancur, Skip. Hoiberg I mean it's not really yep. anyone else you can play in there realistically and then you can play Lucas Son and Kane up front right I mean it kind of gives you a bit of everything doesn't it because you have Reggion can go up up can attack from the left Lucas will be kind of picking out space on the right Son's going to come inside it, I mean I know it's incredibly easy it's not football no. manager it's incredibly easy to say they should play like this and this will work for this player and it'll help this player do this that and the other but it does kind of seem like with what they've got in the moment, that does seem like quite an obvious solution. 3-4-3, three, three, I don't see too many teams playing it now in the Premier League. Some, and some go to it as a, as a kind of a, a get-out occasionally. But, you know, he believes that, that, that that's, that's fine. But, but afterwards, for him to say that he thought it was a quote, these are exact words in English, good performance. Are we, I mean, are we already at the stage where the manager has to start making stuff up in order to make himself or us feel better? The difficulty here is the next game is against Manchester City where he could put out whatever formation he wants and he probably could put out currently 13 Spurs players and they'll still get beat. And it's a whole run of away games now, isn't it? Um, so yeah, cool. it, they, they really are... This is a difficult, difficult time for Antonio Conte now because he's going to have to start. The, the honeymoon period people talk about, it's very short these days and he needs to show that he can manage with a squad of players even if he thinks they are deficient in some of the things that he needs it's no good saying after games we don't really have a good enough squad um mm. your job is entirely to improve them there are two ways to do that of course you can buy players and they've done you know some of that in in the january transfer window or you can improve what you've got and that includes tactically technically and all the rest of it and it's not just enough to sit there going ah oh, well you know this is not very good is it yeah, especially when I mean, I talk, I wrote about this in my piece for this morning on on this kind of uh, habit Conte's had intermittently, and and it would be unfair to say he's just throwing the team under the bus. He's not, you know. Yesterday and on Wednesday, he defended them. He said their effort was good, as you say. He said the performance was good, but he sprinkled in a little bit of it, you know. And he was asked, "Do they have the winning mentality?" Basically, said that some of them don't, and it will take a while. He he's. You know, since he started, he sprinkled in, you know, we had Mora where he said the level of Tottenham is not so high in amongst this um, torrent of I cannot believe how bad we are, essentially. I mean, that was the subtext of that Mora press conference. He then did that again after the first Chelsea defeat. And then a little bit yesterday of, yeah, we, I'm not sure about the winning mentality. And that that that's a risky strategy in a way for a team that looks low on confidence. And you do wonder how much those two things are linked and and this is a team as well that's had Mourinho telling them they weren't very good they had a summer transfer window where Paratici was touting around a lot of the players trying to get them moved on in January quite a few players had a similar situation so yeah I, I don't know I just don't know if it's a huge surprise to see the team looking really short of confidence which is a view that many people who watch this team and are kind of close to the team share and whether yeah, I, I don't know whether Conte needs to slightly change tack, you know, and, and you know we've seen it with great managers before, where what what's always worked for them previously 
maybe they slightly need, and, and that can be difficult. And you know, we saw that with Mourinho, we saw that with Wenger. They're like, well, this has always worked. Why, why should I change this? This is a successful formula. But you sometimes have to tweak that. That's what the best managers do. I'm confident Conte can and will, but it's a challenge, and and it's just not the same level. And he talks about, you know, I'm not used to fighting for the top four, which. Again, if that's Mourinho saying that, I don't think that goes down especially well. And also, what were you expecting when you came to Tottenham and took over that team that were on their knees after Nuno, that, that Davinson, Sanchez and co would propel them to a title ch- charge and overhaul City? I mean, obviously, that's what this season was going to be about. But the, the thing- they also finished fifth in his last Premier League season. <laughs> Conte's Chelsea, but yeah, sorry. The, the real echo of Mourinho there is, is saying and doing all of this after you've kind of shown you can coach these players to be quite good. Mm. Because Mourinho got Spurs top of the league, you know, got results against all the all the top sides. Look, they looked like a decent side, even if they were playing a, a brand of football that some people felt wasn't especially Spurs-like. But clearly, he kind of made it work. And then suddenly, it was like they had a couple of bad results, and then it was all, you know, woe is me, and it's all an absolute disaster, and this squad is no good. And it kind of feels like we've had like a sort of lo-fi version of that now, almost. Like, like he, you know, he came in and made an immediate impact, and they got a lot of. You know, got a lot of wins, went on a long unbeaten run in the league, got a good result against Liverpool with players missing. And I know Liverpool had players missing as well, but Spurs were clearly understrength and undercooked in that game. Uh, and then since we got to the cusp of the transfer window, it's just kind of felt like he, he has lost a bit of that enthusiasm. And even if you look at him on the touchline, I don't yeah. really notice this, Charlie, at the game yesterday. Those, I'm thinking back to like Brentford, Leeds, games Norwich, like that. That, Leeds, Leeds yeah, was in his those energy. Games, those early games, he was it was ludicrous how much he was giving on a touchline. And look at I looked at him yesterday, and I didn't actually think of this on Wednesday night, but I looked at him yesterday, and he's just basically stood there almost motionless. There's a little bit of like, you know, kind of waving players up the pitch to kind of encourage the defenders to push up a bit, but there wasn't like the same kind of aggressive energy other than when he was gobbing off at uh, Hassan Hurton on Wednesday night. He, he looked thoroughly miserable in the rain, didn't he? I mean, that's that, that's the truth of it. He didn't look at all like he was... Um, you say, I mean, I'm not sure whether the manager running half the length of the pitch to applaud a throw-in actually makes much difference. No, but, possibly but, not. But negative body language uh, doesn't help. Look, uh, when we get to these situations where my knowledge of how football works starts to run out, because I've thought, thought and thought about it, I, I always tend to grind back, take all the paintwork off and get right down to the basic body work. Let me ask you a question, Charlie. If I asked you, having watched Spurs games at you know Leicester and then the three that they've lost... What what is it? And you didn't know they were Tottenham Hotspur. They're just a, a football team. What would I, if I ask you this question? How are Tottenham trying to win football matches? Mm. What is the what is they trying to do? Well, I think in that Leicester game, the three central midfielders did give them a platform, and it gave them a, a a plan almost. I mean, they were helped as well by a team that held a high line, and they could kind of spring them yeah. in behind. Yeah. I mean, you, you look at the game since, and I mean, Chelsea away, they were missing a bunch of players. They had they they played that sort of four at the back, but it was a very defensive then midfield. And I think they basically went there to just be like, right, it's nil-nil, what we have we hold, let's try and cling on for a point, more in hope than expectation. You could say that was a little bit of a write-off given the unavailabilities and the opposition, though obviously a lot would be saying, well, surely that's what you bring in an elite manager to do, uh, which for a half it kind of worked. And then, yeah, I mean, it is hard to know, really. The, la- the last couple of games, I mean, I tweeted and... and what I tweeted was, I think, slightly misconstrued that in the first half, it felt like basically we don't really have much of an attacking threat, bar Kane and Son. 
let's get it to those guys and hope they do something, which I said felt like the end of the Mourinho era, which was obviously taken as a kind of, oh, he's living rent-free in your head, yada, yada, yada. But my point was that was that just, you know, I could have said April 2021. I was making a point that it what you know it did have shades of that period when that was what Spurs were doing. That basically was their plan. And, 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 and a big part of it, is, I mean, it is just weird because, you know, obviously he wanted Traore to play as a right wing back. He had Hakimi doing that for Inter. Hakimi is rapid as well. Victor Moses did it for um, for Chelsea, famously. You know, that's well what done. <laughs> we, uh, we, we, he just doesn't really seem to have the threat from out wide that's so key to making the system work, which then exposes even more the reliance on Kane and Son. And you are, and more to an extent, you're kind of like, we're here again? Like, wasn't it supposed to be different? Wasn't it supposed to be not just the same, give it to Kane and Son and hope for the best? I mean, James, I'd love to get your view as well. I mean, because I just thought looking at them, uh, and I, I guess I'd come around to the same spot as Charlie. If I was looking at this team with a neutral eye and asking, so how are they trying to win the football match? I can see it with Wolves, absolutely. They they have some very good defenders and in, in Neves, a player who can play the ball forward almost from any part of the pitch and then they rely on, on, on a bit of, you know, on the breakaway. But Spurs, it looked like to me they had literally become a kind of mid-table, lower mid-table sort of nine with two brilliant forwards. But even that then, you know, you've got to take advantage of that, but they're just not doing anything at the moment. I can I can see, uh, uh, and you'll excuse me, because I often come on this on the, on this podcast full of ideas and uh, ways that things are changing and moving. I'm bewildered by the, by the, the last two performances because they're neither fish nor foul. They're not pressing completely, nor they have a low block. They're defensively all over the place. I don't know how they're going to win football matches. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I can't. You watch those two games, and it's impossible. You know, it's very difficult to kind of tell, like, who is meant to be playing where, and not because it's all very fluid and everyone's kind of chipping in. Wonderful, that'd be wonderful. Just because it's just like a a bit of a mess, really. You know, with and without the ball. And yeah, I can't really see how they're trying to score goals, as Charlie says. You know, it does kind of feel like all they've really got is get the ball to Kane and Son and hope for the best. Maybe Chuck Lucas in there as well. There isn't like a structure to the play. And we thought the main thing that, that Conte would bring was the structured build-up play in the attack. Which which uh, have improved just, a lot. They, 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 sure. they, they have been a lot better at that than they were under the previous two managers. But certainly the last two matches, not, not so much. Uh, Southampton a little bit, but not today. I mean, how much do you think, both of you... I mean, given how often... You know, it does often take teams a long time under new managers. And we saw, you know, they played... A team in Southampton the other night under Raf Hassan Hootel, he's been there more than three years and they look they have a very distinct way of playing. How how much is this just the fact that Conte hasn't been very there very long and or how much are you worry that he won't develop that same distinct style for this team? This is the this is the P question, isn't it? The the the, the patience question. Mm, which um, he talked I, about as well. Oh, and I think we've got a really, really volatile triangle of combustible ingredients here. Antonio Conte's personal patience with the project, the Spurs fans' patience, given that we still have expectations, desires, call it what you want, to finish in the top four, and, of course, Daniel Levy's patience, which uh, it hasn't always... I mean, I know we, we say he's absolutely tied to Conte now, this is his last roll of dice. Of course, it's nonsense. He, he does what he likes, doesn't he? And he could, he could be, get fed up with Conte tomorrow and decide to go another direction. 
I think, and I hate to say this because I was horrified by the performance against Wolves, we do have to be patient to let somebody who has proven himself to be a top football manager, he's got technical operators around him in Parisci and others, we may have to be, you know, be a bit more patient. The problem is, James, with the patience argument, is that it, what, it is clear that the top four is there for the taking, the fourth place slot, and Spurs are making a, a, an absolute, to use an Irishism, hames of this. I think that's the most frustrating thing. And I don't think, you know, when Nuno took over, uh, sorry, when, when Conte took over in November, that many people had expectations of uh, finishing in the top four. They may have thought it was a possibility, but I don't think many people were saying... We sh- we should be doing this, but having got themselves into the position where with with the games in hand they were, you know, only kind of two or three points behind fourth place with the games in hand, and that advantage over everyone above them. Now suddenly they're what I think three points behind Arsenal and Lebanon match uh, Lebanon matches played. I think yeah, that's right. See, they've still got the home game to come against Arsenal, which they'll need to win now. Yeah, it does feel like they're really a, a very good situation to slip through their hands. And you know, it, it, even if they drawn yesterday but beaten Southampton. And we would probably be sat here ruining two drop points at home to Wolves and the missed opportunity to to go forth or whatever it would have been. And But, I mean, you would have still been saying, and Charlie's always positive about this stuff, he would have still been saying, well, with the games in hand, they've still got the opportunity to, to get in there. And we'd be talking about the Burnley game being the big game now, the game they're going to play next midweek when no one else is playing, the one where they can actually move into fourth and you know set a marker. Those two games... And we didn't say this before these two home games, but we did before the last two. You know, there were yeah. the two games against Norwich, Norwich and, Burnley, and Burnley, where there was a midweek uh, game and, and a Brentford, Sunday yeah. game. Yeah. So Norwich and Brentford, right? Yeah. A midweek game, then a, then a weekend game, both at home, a doubleheader where you felt, right, go here, go out, get six points at home, go up a couple of positions in the league, and things that look way more positive. And you kind of, these are obviously harder games than those two, but you would have said the same thing if we, we mentioned that beforehand. Uh, to come away with no points from those two matches, again, against good teams, but to come away from no points, I think, is is really damaging at this stage. No, Charlie, I mean, no, no, it, it's, you keep you keep giving me hope. You keep saying they will finish in the top four. Um, is that still... Well, I, I still do think that, but I was just going to say... <laughs> wow! That, I know, I was just going to say... You'll be feels... saying this when they've got two games left and they're nine points off the top four. It's like that Simpsons uh, scene that's become a meme of the pig that's kind of damaged beyond repair and home is saying it's still good it's still good um it's kind of how i'm about spurs top four but just before i get on that I, I just want to say i thought i think it's just mad that after leicester you know all four of us were on as and you know danny you made the analogy of us kind of on an open top bus celebrating <laughs> yeah. this miraculous win and we were right to do that but that they've lost the three games since in the league and as James tweeted yesterday, they're on potentially for a fourth, which will be the first time since 2004. Is that right? 2004. First time in 18 years. So, assuming they lose on Saturday. And I don't, I don't think anyone's going to be too upset. Uh, so, is it Saturday? It's Saturday. Saturday, yeah. Yeah. Assuming they lose on Saturday. And I don't think anyone's going to be too upset by me suggesting that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Four, four league defeats in a row for the first time since uh, Jack Santini and Martin Yo split six evenly between them in the second half of 2004. Conti I mean, setting all kinds of new records. <laughs> I mean, look, look, people took, I tweeted this last night and people took it to me to be me saying that Conte was the root of all evil and of, <laughs> no. of all, the cause of all Tottenham's problems. Obviously, that's not what I mean. But I think it's ludicrous that there are people suggesting that Conte has done absolutely nothing wrong and was not is not at fault for anything at all. Yeah, I, I think you made a few weird, you know, and we can go into the minutiae of the substitutions if you want. But I, for me, I think taking Davis uh, for taking Sessegnon off and leaving Davis on at left back 
when you're 2-0 down at home was probably a mistake. I think you needed Cessnion on the overlap. Just go for it. Or if you, if you want to chuck Reggie on, on, fine. Well, thanks what, for mentioning that as well. With, ending up with Davis at left back, who was never going to go beyond Son. I just kind of felt like really limited Spurs. And also, congratulations to the Spurs crowd who who applauded Cessignon mm. all the way around the stadium back to the, uh, the the confrontation, if that's the right word, the comforting that he got from the manager. Clearly, you know, the boys had a terrible time since he came to Spurs, lack of form, injuries, all the rest of it. He then gets a chance and he is the one who is hooked because, you know, the team is playing appallingly I thought the crowd did very well there to uh, to try and at least to show their support and to lift him off the back of the Mora game as well where he finally got a chance and all the talk before was that you know Conte could give him a new lease of life and that left wing back was his position and he got sent off within half an hour so yeah. it's been been a tough time for him these feel like things that end up in a long read in like a year's time right when, when he's doing really well so <laughs> cling, cling to that elsewhere or at Spurs <laughs> we'll see Listen, thank you for that. I, I, I genuinely, we could speak about this game for another hour because I'm going to the minutia of what went wrong. Why don't we do what the the players sometimes do and just go again? Let's 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 <laughs> conf- let's consign the mess to the dustbin of history and trust that a good manager and good footballers, not all of them great, can do something about it in the weeks to come. I want to come back from a, a quick break now that I've decided I've, I've had enough of talking about this blinking game. Um, there's still some big issues to talk about. Spurs bidding for the Super Bowl and the, the club situation now, and I know Charlie's done a lot of work on this, with the Y word where what has before has been seen as a consultation is going to very quickly become a confrontation and um, with another 19 other teams and other organisations looking at Spurs to see has this thing been in their mind eradicated we'll do that next here on the view from the lane this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, you're listening to The View from the Lane. I'm Danny Kelly. Alongside me today, I'm delighted to say both James Moore and Charlie Eccleshare. Charlie, you um, have been doing a lot of work on the long, uh, and I think at times quite painful, consultation about the use of the Y word by Spurs fans, both their identification with it and their chanting of it at football matches. And the thick end of that is now that the club in its programme and its other outlets has asked the fans to stop using it. Clearly, they didn't stop using it, at least some a minority, at the game uh, at the weekend. And the problem now is going to be that, as I already saw, I see that the the uh, you know the authorities, the Premier League and the FA, are now monitoring the situation. This is moving very fast, and I slightly fear for the direction it's moving in. Yeah, I mean, the the, the sense I always had from when we revealed this in November that they were going to ask their fans to move on, and it's take you know it's what well, we were now in February, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a bit of a gap, but you know, I think there were. Well, I mean, the, these things just do take a long time, unfortunately, sure. to get mobilised. But yeah, I mean, I I had no optimism at all that the situation on Sunday would be any different, which was that fans sung it, and and James will be able to give a sense of this as well. It, it felt more hearty and more frequent in the opening minutes than normal. Is yeah, that fair? I, I would I would also say minority was probably. Mm. I mean, certainly in the part of the ground that I was yeah, in. Yeah, it didn't feel like a minority probably, in the South Stand. Probably, probably not accurate to say that. Right. Um, yeah, I think it was sung defiantly or more defiantly than usual. I mean, given it's, uh, you know, supposed to be a defiant chant in the first place. Uh, yeah, it, it, it actually was defiant this time rather than just pretending. Yeah, I, I, I'm not convinced that anything is going to change in the immediate future or, or sort of medium term future. I just don't see after that. I mean, and like, like as Charlie says, I wasn't expecting any different. That was more or less exactly what I expected to happen. Yeah, I, I can't see there being like a, a resolution to that that isn't just going to get really ugly. Uh, my hope is that, well, th- these things do take a lot of time because they're so ingrained and there's a feeling of entitlement and ownership. Yeah. And no one, no one likes being told what to do. And to be fair to Tottenham, they have had that issue because... They've known for a long time, especially given all the stuff that fans feel about the club. Highest season tickets in the country. We don't like Daniel Levy, etc., etc., etc. So to then come out and be like, oh, and you know that song you love singing? Yeah, you can't do that anymore. That That's a challenge. Of course it is. But I do. Th- I still think it's it's absolutely the right thing to do and is an important first step. But it is just a first step. I, I, I am confident that in 20 or however long, we will look back and be like, do you remember when Spurs used to sing a racist term? And it'll be like, when was that? Like in the 80s? Like, no, no, it was in like the woke snowflakey 2022. Yeah, that was just a thing that happened. I think we'll seem extraordinary, but I think it will take, it, it will evolve. And because already you do, like I've been encouraged, there are a lot of people on social media, etc., who say, I'm not going to sing anymore. I didn't really realise the connotations. That's not on. So I think it's a gradual process. But, that, but, you know, and also that there are a lot of people I know on, you know, message boards and things like this are saying, it, you know, in the more extreme end are saying this is a disgrace. I can't believe they're doing this. This is taking away our freedoms to sing. This is political correctness gone mad. But I, and I think a lot of that comes from a lack of understanding and that can take time. And obviously as well, we should make the point because there'll probably be some people screaming at us that I'm well aware that there are many fans, Jewish Tottenham fans, who are totally fine with fancying the Y word 
And that's okay. That's totally their prerogative. But there are a lot of fans who aren't. And there are a lot of non-Spurs Jewish football fans or just Jewish members of the community who have to hear that word sung. These games don't happen in isolation. They're broadcast to millions and millions of people. And for a lot of people, that's very uncomfortable. So, uh, yeah, that that's among the many things to keep in mind. The, the difficulty now, it strikes me, is going to be... I, I know today that they... The, the club have said they're going to include in future programs and on future platforms, you know, some historical context for the word. So they're going to up the sort of education part of this. But many of the people who uh, who want to continue, continue using the words, they're totally aware that it has a a, a, a complicated and not some very are, complicated. Not all. Not all a, a lot aren't. But my, my worry is... Um, and look, my first worry is that people are uh, being exposed to a word that they find racially offensive. That's my first worry, that they are more important. The second worry is that now, if people don't stop doing it, Spurs are going to end up being sanctioned in some way. Yeah, and that's been an issue before with the authorities getting involved. It, that And that is a really difficult one because that is going to, intri- you know, that that's where we've talked about this before. That's what uh, led to one of the chants, you know, they tried to stop us and look what it did. It becomes almost this badge of honour, this forbidden fruit that, you know, we're doing this thing. And, and and a good point has been made previously that, you know, in an era where of commoditization, where, you know, you're charged so much by the club for this and, and that, the club don't ever use that word in their comms. And so it almost feels like a bit of a middle finger to the club for all the you know, well, you try and charge us for everything. You make it as difficult as possible with kickoff time, which obviously isn't the club's fault. But, mm-hmm. you know, well, here, this is ours. We own this. You, this is the one thing you can't take away from us. But it's not really up. It's not your word to reclaim. Never in the history of the world has a, a different gr- a group that doesn't belong to the racial group just reclaimed a word. It's it's not okay to do that. It's not up to you. So it needs to stop and it, ne- it needs a period of reflection and unfortunately the Premier League and the FA they just don't have you know their their reputations are pretty I think as well because they they they, they aren't exactly organizations that we can say have have you know been pioneers in fighting racism they don't have a huge amount of credibility in that space that makes it harder as well just imagine for a moment if it was the p word and we were talking about Spurs as the p word army and a lot of fan Tottenham fans from that community and from outside of Spurs, from the mm-hmm. wider football community, were saying, I really don't like hearing this word. It's a hate word. It's a word that's used to demonise uh, my community, make us feel small. Please stop doing it because it's really actually quite horrible to hear. I think if, if you heard that from that group or, you know, from, from, from pretty much any racial group or just take away the context of the fact that the Y word has become normalised, when you actually think of it like that, I, I just I don't think it's I don't see how any um, kind of right-minded person, even with the oh, but we're doing it in a nice way. It's because we love the Jews. Okay, you may think that a lot of them really, really don't like hearing it when it's a word used by the Nazis or by Oswald Mosley. Mm-hmm. So li- listen to the generally, I think a good rule with racism: listen to the group that are being oppressed. Uh, and are being demonized and um, that's more important and I'm sorry I know it's it's not easy because you know you love singing about the Y words and it's ingrained but ultimately you're not the most important thing here. Let's leave that there and hope that the good sense and and the good hearts of people um, will, will triumph. 
Last night, of course, um, as we as we're recording this on Monday, was at the Super Bowl, and I watched with great excitement uh, in Los Angeles and the SoFi Stadium, an absolutely beautiful building, but no more beautiful than the one in which Tottenham Hotspur currently present their inadequate wares. And what about the news, James, that somehow Daniel Levy has got it in his head that he can get... And actually, I don't mind this as a piece of ambition because I know that the NFL, who I follow very closely, are desperate to have a Super Bowl overseas. Whether that will be in rainy old London in in February, I'm not so sure. But um, in, in, in this case, at least, hats off to Daniel Levy because it would be a huge money spinner for Spurs and London, of course, and that part of London. Yeah, well, I mean... Judging by how wet and cold I was on the walk back to Tottenham Hale after the game yesterday <laughs> afternoon, uh, yeah, I would say. I mean, so, so what time would this have to start? This seems to be the key question at the moment. Because at the if, moment, at the moment, as I understand it, because they try and spread it across the three uh, US time zones, I'm afraid it would be a very late kickoff in London, and the game would end, as I understand it currently, at four o'clock in the morning. I mean, that is uh, that seems incredibly impractical. I mean, surely that almost defeats the object of it to have a, a stupid time in the country you're playing it in. Surely the point of it is that you want to kind of spread the word of your of your game in the country that you're taking it to. And I don't doubt there'd be loads of excitement here if that did sure. happen. But I, I, surely it's just surely everyone in America would think that was crap. I mean, I know we have a lot of American listeners, and I'm sure some of them like NFL. So you know, feel free to let us know how you'd feel. If about the it. stadium had a roof, it would make sense. You could just about pull that off. But it doesn't have a roof. It has a sliding pitch. It has beer that fills up in 0.2 of a second, and all the rest of it. It does not have a roof to protect itself or to cocoon itself from the worst of the of the of the of the, of the weather in London in February. But I guess, like televisually, as long as it's sold out, that's all that really matters. I guess. The, and then the question is, would it sell out? Are you pretty confident, Danny, that it would even with a ludicrous yeah, kick definitely. of time? Oh, absolutely. It, it, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. In, in, yeah, in which definitely. case, I don't, you know, who, why Why would you care necessarily, you know, if you're just watching it, it doesn't really matter almost what time or how cold it is on TV. No, no. Uh, and, and, and it's been held in colder places than London at this time of year. You know, the, the, the New England states and stuff, they, and, and the northern cities around the, around the lakes where it has been held. Although I do notice that most of the meetings about where it's going to be tend to happen in Florida um, and Southern California before they eventually say, oh, we'll have to, we'll have to have it in Chicago or something. Do we, do we know what the value of this would be to Spurs? I, I, I mean, purely the monetary value. What's sort of ballpark figure? Do we know what that is? I saw I saw one economic expert saying that Spurs would be taking a large chunk of three hundred million pounds. I mean, is, is it a large enough chunk to buy a right wing back? <laughs> yeah. I, I have a suspicion this is never going to happen. But you know, I, I doubt that the new stadium is going to happen until he actually uh, starts to build and pull the bloody thing off. Um, so we could, so I suppose, one say see um, Spurs Stadium being used for the Super Bowl. Um, I'm sorry, gents, that this is and to listeners, that this has been such a miserable version of this. The Y word is difficult to talk about and difficult to get people to move in the right direction. The team is difficult to watch <laughs> and to talk about and to get to move in the right direction. Um, at but the, at on this a positive moment. note, ev- but thank this... you. Please do. Well, no, I mean, City at the weekend. So <laughs> uh, yeah, not that. But forget about that. But if United and West Ham had won, how bad would this weekend have been? At least they didn't most win. Spurs, Spurs are still in a decent position, as crazy as it seems, given their eighth. 
Arsenal's game this weekend was meant to be Chelsea away, wasn't it? So, they, I mean, yeah, they, I, I it, think Arsenal have got a reasonably good record in that fixture, but I don't think I would have been confident they would have won. No, exactly. I mean, th- this is like the title race of 96-97 when United won, it was 75 points, a record low. When everyone's just losing and drawing and chucking away points, it's just a weird, weird top four race. Do we have to include Wolves in the race now as well? Yeah, we have to, out of respect. Legally. They're above Spurs. Yeah, yeah, and they have um, they've got West Ham and Arsenal coming up in the next three games. So I mean, if they win those games, they'll probably be fourth. Well, the, the the race for fourth, I think if you if you're a neutral, uh, looks like it's going to be great, great fun right to the last second of the season. If you're a Spurs fan, I suspect the fun might be um, somewhat tempered. Guys, it's um, a race you'd <laughs> so much rather just be watching on without skin in the game, wouldn't you? Because it is just going to be sure. horribly tense. I mean, for Chelsea, they're. Because they, they could have gone away and come under a bit of pressure, but really that just hasn't happened and they can just sit back and focus on the Cups. Th- thank you both. And I, I do genuinely hope that uh, by the time next time we all meet in three in two or three days, Spurs have had a better result. Antonio Conte will have, have smiled and said how much he likes the weather in London. Spurs will have been awarded the Super Bowl and we can all perhaps have the hat on the side of the head. Um, my natural position is not misery, but this has been quite a miserable weekend. Uh, thank you all for listening to us. Hopefully we'll bring you better news in the upcoming days. And if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, uh, you can read all of our articles on Spurs as well as everything else on the site. It is a gigantic amount of brilliant stuff. Um, you can go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. And right now you can get 33% off a full subscription. We'll be back on Thursday. Thank you all for listening. The Athletic.